Thank you, Lord, for a chance to worship you today. I pray that you help us to honor your name and your message and your son in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And good to see you this morning. Is it, if this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe your first Sunday in church for a while, and you're sitting there going, this is awkward, uh, it's okay, we do that on purpose. I'm just kidding, that's a joke. Uh, anyway. Okay. There it is. Yay. So, if you wouldn't mind, give us your information. Just text the word WELCOME to that number, 307-224-4404, if you have never done that. If you, if you do that, it'll ask for your uh, name, it'll, then we'll have your a number we can text to. And if you give us an email address, we can put you on our email list for the church and keep you up to date on what's happening around Ordinary Faith, okay? Is everybody happy? Is everybody awake? If you're here, are you here? Yes. All right, just check my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors around here. I will have you thoroughly confused in no time flat. One thing I want to do before I get started today, though, is I want to recognize our first responders that are in the room. Do we have any police officers, first responders of any kind? And I know you're sitting there going, I don't want anyone to know who I am. I'm sorry about that. You don't have to, I guess. But we want to pray for you. Can we do that? We want to back the blue today. Can we do it? You guys mind doing that? Any officers, any first responders? Just You can just lay low. Everybody knows who you are. Okay, all right, let me see. Just stay down, stay calm. Colton, I got you. That's good. Can I pray for you guys? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you raise up men and women to be a line of defense against bad things that happen, against evil. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for their hearts and minds. I know they have seen things they cannot forget. And I ask you, Lord, that you would meet them in those places and you would heal those places. And Lord, I ask also that you would encourage them, that you'd just fill them with courage and joy, that they are doing what you made them to do, to stand there and help people. We love them and we back them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today. Hey, Kip, these guys are awesome. These are awesome. So we are in our last message in this first series on, called Shift, and today uh, we're finishing up this idea of moving from earner to heir. Now, this whole series has been really the gospel, or the good news about Jesus Christ. How we move from everything depending on us, to, to moving all of that on God and receiving from God everything that we need. And so today, we're going to be talking about the right response. We're going to be talking about that moment in time, that moment in your thinking, where you transition from an earner to an heir, where you transition from, from basically being your own God to having a God, a God that's over you and that guides your life. And so I'm going to be talking about Jesus Christ. I'm going to be talking about Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. And, and this is the main point I want to get to. I'm just, I'm going to... Um, almost read this, just every person, every person in the world, every person on the planet has to make a choice about Jesus. The choice is not whether or not he existed. The choice is not whether or not he was a good man. The choice is whether or not he will be your personal Lord and Savior. That's the choice every person has to address. And that's what we're talking about today. We're going to look at uh, a sermon, a part of it, a sermon by Peter. In Acts chapter 2. Now I'm going to summarize the message a little bit. We'll have a little bit of fun today. I'll poke fun at everyone equally. Is that okay? Poke fun at the Baptists, fun at the Charismatics. Fun, just every, I like to make everyone mad. Okay? 
Just kidding. <clears throat> um, I'm an equal opportunity insulter. Uh, anyway. So I'm going to summarize Peter's message. It's an oversimplification. I realize that. But I'm trying to get to his invitation. Okay? Peter's message. God has an answer for all that's wrong in the world. He sent the answer. His name was Jesus. The answer came, lived among us, and we condemned him and killed him. We betrayed God. But that didn't bother God. God raised him from the dead, gave him a name which is above every other name, honor that's above every other honor, and now Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now that may not sound like much of a message to you, but you've got to understand as we read this that Peter is standing in front of a crowd of people that just 50 days before had demanded the death of Jesus and insisted upon Barabbas' freedom over Jesus' freedom. They had rejected God's Messiah. So that was the reality that he's dealing with. Now, here's the thing as we go through this. As you think through this answer that God has given, there has to come in your life an epiphany. An epiphany is a divine moment, a, a connection with the divine. This, and this epiphany has to go something like this. Maybe God's not the problem. Maybe God's not out to get me. Maybe God is different than I think he is. Maybe God isn't the reason my life isn't going as well as I think it should be. Now, that idea that God might not be the source of the problem and might, God might not be the one to blame in your life can move you to another moment. So we move from an epiphany moment to an aha moment, which is goes something like this. Maybe we're the problem. Maybe that the reason that there are problems in the world isn't because God's out to get us or God's abandoned us, but maybe it's because people have the ability to make choices. And people make choices based on their self-interest. People make choices based on deceptions. And so maybe what's going on in this world isn't God's fault. Maybe it's our fault. Do you remember that scene in uh, the Lord of the Rings, the second movie, I can't remember, Two Towers. There we go, I got it. Every preacher, it's required in seminary to know the Lord of the Rings. Just kidding. It kind of are to be, but anyway... <laughs> But there's a scene where King Theoden is under the influence of his advisor, Grima Wormtongue. And he's been poisoned by the lies of this advisor for years. What if part of the problems in your world is because there is a voice whispering darkness and shadow into your thoughts? What if your hopes and dreams are constantly being tainted by a liar, an accuser, and a deceiver. And what if that is part of what's wrong in the world and in your world? But what if we took that aha moment just a little bit deeper? I mean, it's, it's easy to blame everything on God. So transitioning out of life, well, maybe it's not God's fault. And it's easy to blame the problems of the world on everyone else. But what if we move the aha down from we have a problem to I have a problem. That I am the one who makes the decisions in my life. I am the one who is responsible for my spiritual well-being and my eternity. And actually, I'm the one who has to answer to God for my life. You see, 
as rare as this moment is, and it is truly rare for anyone in this day and age or ever to have transitioned from placing the blame on to God and taking responsibility as mankind and then even taking responsibility personally. It is rare that we get to that aha moment, but when you do, it is a gift from God. The Word of God says that godly sorrow brings repentance. Godly sorrow. And so this is the moment that we are in in Peter's message. So I'm going to read it to you, his invitation. Peter, who just 50 days before this moment in time was a coward and denied Jesus Christ three times, is now standing in the midst of the very crowd that had demanded the blood of Jesus Christ, and this is what he says. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Does anybody else think that's pretty brave to make that statement right there? I am impressed by it, okay? Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? This is the moment. That moment you get past all of your excuses, all of your blame, all of your self-deception, and you take personal responsibility for where you are before God and in this world and for your decisions and your choices, and you get to that realization that I can't save me. I can't rescue me. What can I do? So Peter's answer is this. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. What a moment in the church's history. And I want to look at that moment, and I want to draw some things out of it that will help us transition our thinking. And most of this that we're going to talk about today is for those of you who are still wrestling with the matter of whether or not Jesus Christ can be trusted and whether or not he can be your Lord and Savior. But I also want to talk to you believers in the room because there is a mission here. There is something we need to remember and something we need to carry forth into the world that's very important that we do that. So let's start with this shift in thinking that happens in the moment. And here's the, the first shift. Peter says this. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And here's the first thought you need to wrap your head around. You ready? It's a big one. You are not God. Let me translate that into Southern. You ain't God. All right? I know. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? And I know you're sitting there going, well, I never claimed to be God. Yeah, I know that you never theologically or spoke out loud that you were God. But I'm kind of a pragmatist. And the way we think and the way we live often don't agree. And what I mean is if you live like you are your own God, and you don't submit your life to God, then you're basically living as if you are your own God. And I think personally, and I don't mean to insult you, but I think you're a lousy God. You okay? Here's why. Let's think of all the things we should be able to control, but we can't. Uh, I think Christy might have lost Cayman. Could one of you guys run back there and make sure? Thank you, Patty. 
Okay, I don't know if she needs help or not. I have a son who likes to wander. He walks around in the spirit, and uh, I'm just kidding, real life. I mean, there are things in life that we should be able to control, and we can't, like our waistline. And you're sitting there going, well, I'm doing better than you, preacher man. That may be true, but that doesn't mean you don't struggle. I mean, like if you were really God, that should be no problem, right? What about your bank accounts? How are you doing there? I mean, there's just a lot of things, our calendar, the words we speak, the relationships in our life that are toxic, the boundaries that we hold. There's a lot of things that we should be able to handle in our life, and we can't. Just as an argument to say, hey, man, you're not doing so great at this. You, You aren't a God. You need one. And then there's other things. For example, and Leonard just left to go find Cayman. I'd I'd plug him into the sermon right here, but I won't. (laughs) You can't make yourself taller. You can't make yourself smaller. Uh, You can't can't stop your hair from going gray, and you can't stop it from going away. Sorry, guys. Hey, he's found. Okay, good deal. I was worried. You can't stop your body from sagging, dragging, or gagging. That'd be a good t-shirt, wouldn't it? You can hide it, you can delay it, but sooner or later it's going to catch up with you. <laughs> and, and not, but all of you ladies look great. It's not for you. That was, for, that was for guys. My point is, as much as we like to say we're in charge and that we do what we want, we don't. A lot of you guys in this room are parents, or you have had at some point in your life the opportunity to care for a young child. I have eight kids, so I've had this opportunity a few times. You ever had a child throw a temper tantrum on you? <clears throat> I would ask if you ever had a husband do it, but I better not do that. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so you have a child, and all of a sudden they don't get what they want, and they hit the floor, and they start screaming, and they start kicking, and whatever, and you're in the middle of Walmart or whatever. Now, so there's, here's the thing. There's, um, <clears throat> there's all kind of parents in the world. When you're a new parent, this is challenging. But the experienced parents, you guys who've been through this a few times, you've, you've dealt with the tantrum a few times, here's what you do as a parent. You have that temper tantrum, and you work with that child until they do what you want, until they have it your way and they're happy. That's how you handle a temper tantrum. You make them think that what you want to do is what they want to do. That's how come you bought that last new car. Ray Kroc used to say that. The best thing you can do in life is help a customer have it your way. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of stories about Ray Kroc, but I won't do that, okay? This is how the enemy plays in life. You see, we, don't have, we aren't a God. We need a God. But there is an enemy in our life who's after us, and he manipulates us. He tricks us. If you read the book of Revelation, you find out that he's a terrible, he's a, he's a counterfeiter. He copies everything that God's do, God does, and he tricks our temper tantrum ways until we do what he wants. And I want you to know something. God, the Father, doesn't do that. God is not a manipulator. God tells you what he wants. God gives you, he lays it out for you how things should be. He lays it out how you can have the best life and how you can grow strong in him. He is plain spoken and an honest father, and the enemy is the trickster. So my simple thing I just want you to remember is that one of the shifts in thinking is simply this. I am not God. I need a God. Okay, does that make sense? You still with me? You already went to lunch? You're like, I think we'll go to Burger King today. Now, verse Luke 17. The second thing, second shift in our thinking. First shift, you aren't God. Second shift, you can't earn anything. You can't earn anything. 
So here's this cool passage in Luke 17. The first half of it we love. The second half of it we do not understand. Okay? So I'm going to read both parts, and then we'll talk about what it means. All right? You ready? Here we go. Luke 17, 5. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Before I go any further, what is the, what it, disciples just ask a question. What was it that they wanted Jesus to explain to them or teach them on? It was faith. Do you see that? Say faith. All right. Some of you are like, okay, I'm awakening up to say faith. I got that. What Jesus is about to say is an answer to this question, this request. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. If you had enough faith, all of your gardening would be easy. I was just saying, if you're here, anybody ever had a mulberry tree? They're awful. Okay, just saying. If you had one, you would be telling it to leave, okay? Especially when your kids stomped through it and stained your living room floor purple. It would be awesome. Anyway. So we're talking about faith. If you had enough faith, you tell the mulberry tree to move. And another passage says you tell the mountain to move. That's what faith does. You're with me that far. Now let's jump to verse 7. We're still in the same answer. We're still in the same paragraph. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he told him to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Doesn't it look like Jesus jumped a ditch here? Like all of a sudden we're talking about faith. I mean, we start out talking about faith and there's faith to move mountains. And then we're unworthy servants and no matter what we do, it's just merely our duty how are these two ideas related, and what does this have to do with me being able to earn things? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews 11 that faith is the only thing that pleases God. Nothing else. All of your works, all those kind of things you could come up with, that doesn't please God. So here's Jesus saying, listen, with faith, mountains move and mulberry trees run across the yard and jump in the sea, okay? But in your efforts... In your works, all you can accomplish is your duty. All you can accomplish. Your... What I'm trying to get across to you is this. You are never going to impress God. You can't give away enough money that one day God on the throne will look down and go, Wow, that was a lot of money. You're never going to work so hard and spend yourself so much that God's going to look at you and go, Wow, I'm... I'm really impressed with, with how much you've done. That's not going to happen. Why? Because Jesus done all that. Je Jesus blew you away, okay? You're never going to earn what Jesus has done for you. But you can receive it. That's the thing. Every good thing that comes from God comes from receiving His gifts, not earning them. You don't have the ability to earn. I do not have the ability to earn. All of God's good stuff is received. Salvation, received. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those 
received, given to us by God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the grace gifts are given to us. We do not earn them. We will never be worthy of any of these things. I see that most people struggle with a lot of uh, the, the gifts of the, of the Spirit and so forth that Paul talks about in Romans, uh, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. And they see people who have these gifts and they don't understand because these people's lives don't, they look at them and go, man, their life's a mess and, and God gave them a myth, I mean a gift, I don't, I don't get it. But they miss the point. God's gifts are grace gifts. He doesn't give anybody anything because they deserve it or because they have earned it. Do you understand that? So you can't earn this. You're not God. You can't earn what God has for you. And, and on top of that, the, the, the cherry on top here, you can't save you. You can't save you. When I was a kid, um, uh, I'll, my dad took me swimming. He did not teach me how to swim. He just took me swimming. <clears throat> Total dad move. Okay, that's, that's what dads do. He'll figure it out. So um, I didn't know how to swim, and, and dad's there. I think it was a church thing. It was a guy's night. All the guys were there. And I wanted to jump off the diving board. <clears throat> so you're, all the moms just panicked right there. They're going, oh, no. But I'm still here. And I was pretty buoyant then as well, just throwing that out there. And I, I said, man, you know what I think I can do? I think I can jump off that diving board and I can paddle really hard and I can get to the shallow end and I'll, I'll be okay. Of course, I didn't mention this to my dad. So off I go. Boom, jumped off in and swam as hard as I could until I ran out of air. And I think I'd probably got like six inches from the board. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't, I was buoyant, but I was not mobile. And so I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm out of, I'm out of air and Michael starts going down. Now, when you're in a life situation, a life-threatening situation like that, you can't just grab you by the neck and yank you out of the pool. Somebody's got to do that for you. My dad, who was more aware that night than on other nights, I must say, as wonderful as he is, dove in, saved me, dragged me inside the pool, and then left me there to choke for a while. But, he, you know, he's like, no, you'll learn. Anyway, no. <laughs> anybody who grew up in the 70s kind of knows how this goes, or earlier than that. You can't save you. No matter what you tell yourself, you may be sitting here today and you, you can, maybe you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic and you, you're like, well, I, I don't know if there's a God or I don't care if there's a God or I, I don't believe there's a God. And, and so I want to I toss two things into your, your wheelhouse here for you to consider. First of all, not all, but many atheists I know never miss a chance to tell you that they're atheists. Second, Almost all of them are really mad at God. And, and, of course, it doesn't help for me to say to them, and so I don't anymore, <clears throat> say, that, how can you be mad at someone that you don't believe in? I don't understand. I know that's insulting, and, and I don't mean to be insulting. I realize things happen, and God gets the credit for what someone else did. And, and that's not fair to you or God. But I'm just going to say, maybe you're not being honest with yourself. Because if you actually didn't believe in God, he would totally be a non-issue for you. Now let me talk to you people who've made it to the point where God is a non-issue for you. I get it. You've got to a place where you don't think God exists and you've convinced yourself and you believe that. But let me speak to the place inside of you that you're struggling with right now. 
Because in every human being is a dread of accountability. I didn't put it there. God did, actually. He put eternity in the hearts of men. And so everyone knows on some visceral level that they have to answer for their life. That sooner or later, they have an appointment. I'm here to tell you that we're talking about a God who's the answer for that. And then there are others of you. Let me, let me move on from the person struggling with the agnostic and atheist viewpoints. Let me move to others who are more liberal in that view, and they believe in a God, but they think there are many ways to God. Like, it doesn't matter. You can, you can be a, a Buddhist. You can, be, you can go through Islam, whatever it is. There's many ways to God. So here's my question to you. How do you know? Who do you know that died, went over, and came back to tell you how it goes? The truth is, all those other ways are mere speculation. Okay? Now, you're sitting going, Michael, well, that's fine. You've just tried to attack the atheist and you've attacked. Now, I didn't mean to attack. I was just pointing out. So let me tell you something. I know you're sitting going, Michael, how do you know what you believe? So let me, let, me, let me be honest with you. It's rare for a preacher to be honest, but I'll try. I can't give you bulletproof information. I can't give you the silver bullet you want to say that God is God and that he loves you and he's sending his son to die for you, but I can give you evidence. I can give you the evidence that there is a guy named Jesus Christ who is mentioned in the history books outside of the Bible that came and lived a good life and was condemned to die and was crucified. I can tell you that that guy who was crucified rose again three days later and there are 500, over 500 witnesses to that fact. More witnesses to Jesus' resurrection than many historical figures that go without question. I can tell you about 11 guys who followed him around who on the night of his crucifixion didn't have the courage to even be present for him, and yet 50 days later, they're standing in the middle of the city of Jerusalem talking to the very crowd that condemned Jesus to death, proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. And not only did that one event happen, they backed up that message with all of their lives laid down in sacrifice for the hope that every person might hear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for them and rose again to live for them and would save them. I can tell you about a Bible that many people question and they, they cast doubt upon and, and argue that it's been corrupted by men, but a Bible that upon first reading will challenge you, but also a Bible that upon multiple readings will get deeper and more and more alive, that is just something about it that is profound. I can tell you about the night that I met Jesus. And my whole world flipped upside down and my life trajectory completely changed in less than 24 hours. And I can tell you about a spirit of God that in the life of any believer that's learned to depend upon him, you could sit down and talk to them and that very spirit would minister to you in ways that would fill you with joy and yet you would not know why. It wouldn't matter what they said. It would matter that the Holy Spirit's presence was with them. So, no, I don't, I don't have ironclad proof. I just have a lot of evidence and, and a lot more. Your life right now is like a, it's like a car wreck. You ever been in a car wreck? Your adrenaline dumps, 
And everything slows way down. You're in there, and I've, I have experience with car wrecks when I was a teenage boy. <clears throat> and I damaged a few vehicles. The moment that happens, you are, everything slows down, and you're watching your car spin or flip or whatever it is, and you're inside of it, and you're watching it happen almost like you're not there, like it's third party or something, and your body's trying to process this unreal reality that's happening so fast, and everything slows down, and you're watching it happen, and you go, oh my, this is bad, this is going to hurt. And that's how we're living life right now. It's like watching a wreck happen. And you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's going to hurt. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's the message Peter is preaching. There is an answer for that. You aren't God, but there is a God, and he's a good God, and he cares about you. You can't save you, but there is a God who can save you. There is a way through this. And so Peter's message shifts our thinking. And thinking is great. Thinking is good. It's, it's good to, to think about Jesus. It's good to deal with this mentally. But that in itself is not enough. Okay? You can't, just, you can't just sit there and mentally assent and say, well, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe He's a good man. There's something else that has to happen. So here's what Peter says. He says, you repent of your sins and turn to God. And he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. What's, what's the point here? So there is this synergy. Actually, it's kind of like a tornado. Now, I grew up in tornado country. I know how devastating they could be. Uh, let me help you with it. Anybody familiar with Looney Tunes cartoons? I know I'm dating myself. I know. I know. There's a creature in there. There's one of the characters in Looney Tunes. He's not the smartest character. That's a fact. But he perfectly demonstrates the, the, the tornado of, of uh, believing in Christ and enthroning him as Lord of your life and obeying Christ. And you ready? It's the Tasmanian devil. You're like, what? The yeah, he spins around. He's a little tornado. Destroys everything he touches. Speaks in tongues. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. Lighten up, lighten up. It's okay. Don't throw anything at me, all right? You see, when you let God wreck your thinking, and you enthrone him as Lord, and then you begin to do what he says, it, says, it creates this tornado in your life that begins to destroy things, lies, strongholds, the works of the enemy in your life. That's what baptism is about. You see, most people look at baptism like it's the, the last thing you do as part of your salvation. And I would say that's wrong. In fact, historically and statistically, most people that are baptized, it's a surprisingly small percentage who actually carry on with their faith. In fact, there's, a, there's an old joke. I have to tell you a preacher joke. Can I do that? I know I've made like an old reference to Looney Tunes, but let me, allow me one more old joke. You ready? And so there were these three preacher guys, pastors of churches. Okay, and, and so they had a problem with bats. And to, to take the image further, they had bats in the belfry, which is not an uncommon problem for pastors. So, they, uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. 
So they sit down, they have coffee together, and they start talking about it. The first pastor says, I tell you what, I got so mad at those bats. I, got, I went up to the bell for the other day, and I rang that bell for an hour and drove them all out. And, and the next morning, all those bats were back. He was so frustrated. The second one said, I'm even more angry than you. I got my shotgun out, and I just blew holes all in the belfry. And they beat me back to the building. The third pastor, I'm assuming he was a Baptist or a Christian church guy. Where's Michael? <laughs> he said, Michael knows what I'm about to say. <laughs> he said, you know what I did, guys, and it worked great? I took all those bats, and I baptized every one of them, and I hadn't seen one since. I know you may not fully get that joke, but a lot of people don't continue their faith after baptism. And the reason why is because they look at baptism as the end of their salvation. And it's not that at all. It's the beginning of their life in Christ. See, baptism is the first act of obedience. Do you know why you're baptized? Here, here's, you ready? It's a really complicated answer. Because Jesus said so. That's why he got baptized. Jesus said, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Or he told us to baptize people like that. And so, that's why we're baptized. It's the first act of obedience that establishes a pattern for the rest of our lives. We don't commit one act of obedience and then go back to being our own God. You hear me? We don't commit one act of obedience and then go back to being our own God. We commit that act of obedience as a statement that from now on I do what Jesus says God is my God. I am not my God. I do what he says. Does that make sense? You with me still? So that's why Peter tells him to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that first act of obedience. It's a simple act of obedience, and it will carry, it is the, very important. So let me ask you this before I move on. If you haven't been baptized yet, let me ask you, why not? Seriously, if you haven't followed the Lord in baptism yet, why not? Because it's awkward? Because it's embarrassing? Don't make me tell you that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. The last thing you can do, I mean, it's, it's easy enough to just go through some water for him. That's not even the issue. The issue is, am I going to obey Jesus or am I just going to make a mental decision? Something has to happen. Now, so there's this shift in thinking. We shift about our thinking about God. We shift in our, our obedience. And then we also shift in our priorities. Look what Peter says next. So this is for everybody. If you checked out while I was going through the gospel, this is for everyone in the room. Here we go. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who've been called by the Lord our God. Do you hear this? This promise is for you and your children and all who are far away. What is, that? What is he telling us? That everyone who's declared Jesus Christ their Lord now has a mission and that mission is to get the message to as many people as possible. To beat on the same drum I, drum I pounded on last week. Guys, the world, Jesus gave us a mission to be his witnesses and declare throughout the world that he's the answer and that he's the hope. That's our mission. That's what we're here to do. And, and we need to take that seriously. So I, I won't go into all the details here, but there are a lot of challenges churches in America are facing over the next 20 to 30 years. One of those challenges is a financial one. Over 70% of the giving that supports churches today comes from people who are 49 years of age or older. When that generation passes away, churches aren't going to be able to finance themselves if something doesn't change. 
Now, I'm telling you this because you got to realize that what the church is here to do is fan the flames of that faith. We're here to burn brightly in every community and proclaim that message. Jesus is the answer. There's hope for that dread you feel. There is a God who loves you and cares about you. The things you cannot earn, you can receive. And that's our light we're supposed to shine. If we don't take that message seriously, that light goes out. That's, it, it's happened all around us already. There are communities all over Wyoming, small little towns that used to have churches in them that proclaimed that Jesus was the answer. And those lights gradually began to fl flicker out. And there are all kinds of communities around us that do not have a gospel witness today. Because the light has flickered out. And if you don't think it can happen to us or can happen in Rock Springs or happen in, in Dallas, Texas, it can now, I know you're thinking, well, God will never let that happen. You know, I don't believe he will, but here's how he will make sure it doesn't happen, through you and me. God works with us and through us, not in spite of us. Does that make sense? So here's the question. Peter says, man, this promise is for you. Hallelujah, man. It's for your kids. It's for your kids. You, mom and dad. It's your first priority mission to make sure your children know that Jesus is the answer. You have to hand them their faith. And then it's to those who are far away. That's the mission. That's our job. Like I said last week, every person on this planet has to either choose or neglect or reject Jesus. Who gets a chance to do that? Who decides who gets a chance to do that? I'm all about, I believe in the election of the saints and those doctrines that I'm not going to get into right now. But I want you to understand that God works through you and me. God invites people through you and me. So who in your life, who in your life is going to get a chance to hear that Jesus is the answer? Michael, they won't understand. That has nothing to do with the mission. Michael, they'll laugh at me. That also has nothing to do with the mission. That's about your reputation. Okay? You are the one who goes out each day in your family, whatever it is, you're the one who determines in your life who gets to either accept, reject, or neglect Jesus just by telling them. This is important. So, several weeks ago... <clears throat> I was taking stuff out to the dump. No family members, just garbage. I had a trailer full of garbage. My uh, oldest son that's at home, Creed, was helping me out, and we had this huge trailer full of stuff, and we backed up, and I, I'm getting out, and next to me is this older gentleman in a truck, and he's got an oxygen tank on, and he's carrying it with him, and he's just sitting there. And I'm like, I hope he's okay. <laughs> And we start unloading the truck, and I watch the guy open the door, get out, step the ground, walk to the back, throw out a few things, gasp, go sit back down a minute and breathe. And so we had quite a load, so it took us about 20 minutes to get it off of there. And he did that about three times. And when I, when I got done, I looked, and he was just sitting on the bumper trying to breathe. I walked up to him, and I said, hey, man, can I do this for you? And he said, thanks. So I unloaded his truck for him, threw everything out. He climbed up in the bed with me, uh, the bed of the truck. And I, I know it sounded awkward, but anyway, <laughs> making it real. 
And I, uh, I walked over to him, and I said, hey, man, what's your name? He said, I'm Carl. He said, Carl, I know this may sound weird, but can I pray for you? And he said, that would be great. And so I put my hand on Carl. I asked him first if I could touch him, you know, COVID times. Of course, I do that anyway. You just touch people randomly. It doesn't go well. <laughs> put my hand on him, and I, I prayed, and I asked God, to show Carl how much he loved him, I asked God to open up his lungs so he could breathe. And I asked God to bless Carl. And then I took my hand off. I, I didn't preach the gospel at him. I didn't ask for a decision. Because if you don't know me, I'll just tell you right now, I'm not looking for decisions. I'm looking for disciples. It's a different thing. And I didn't get to lead Carl to Christ, but that wasn't my goal. Carl's now on my pradar. <laughs> get it? Pray, raise, pray. Anyway. And I've invited God into Carl's life. And I don't know what God's going to do, but Paul talked about Apollos, him planting, Apollos watering, and God giving the increase. My point is, is that I, I, I got an opportunity that day to push the answer a little further out. And that, my friends, is what we need to be thinking about as Christians. How can we get the message of Jesus further out? For you believers in the room, I'm begging you to, to elevate your prayer life. I really need you praying for me right now and for the leadership at Ordinary Faith. I need it desperately. We are sitting on the cusp of unprecedented times and we need to know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. But also, we are on the cusp of the greatest opportunity ever to proclaim Jesus. And we get to do that.